0: Uh, distinction that's now being uh, created is that this this person is radioactive if they're not not vaccinated but everyone is radioactive because as I I think which is now clear I think everyone admits to this even those who are in favor of the mandate is that even fully vaccinated people contract the virus and can spread the virus.
1: Coronaviruses they've been with us for thousands of years they're similar to the flu they mutate regularly every year you get a cold or you get you get influenza you can't really vaccinate against them they just they change they, they, they are notorious for doing just that so it's like chasing a moving target
2: hello my name is Donald. <laughs> I'm filling in for Pietras. Pietras is currently being tortured in the Tower of London for conspiring against the Queen. You're watching the number one media company, Worldview. At Worldview, we explore everyone's perspectives on all things that can broaden our world view. Today, we're gonna have a discussion focused on the proposed vaccine mandate and firearm laws in South Africa. We are joined by Martin van Staden a jurist at the Free Market Foundation, and Jonathan Wright, a board member at the Safe Citizen Campaign. So Martin, uh, let's start with you. Is this new vaccine mandate legal? So what's what's the legal route in this new vaccine mandate?
0: Yeah, I guess so. You'll, it it always depends who you ask in in these respects. Uh, whether whether it's legal or not. Um, currently, what we have is a directive from the uh, Department of Labor that essentially makes it, I guess, volu- voluntary for uh, employers, businesses to adopt vaccine mandates inside their own companies. Um, now that's that's pretty standard. Okay, position that I, I'm not too too uh fussed about. i I think it's probably a bad choice for staff morale and so on. And I think there are a few ethical qualms about that, but legal and great. Uh, but uh, a lot of business organizations are still a little bit uh, unsure about the legalities around it. So there's been talk about going to the constitutional court for or the high court uh, uh from Bu Business Unity South Africa. To get a declaratory order, uh, essentially clarifying what the legal position is. Uh, now, what the courts are going to say and what is the legally correct position aren't always the same thing. Uh, what the Constitution currently says is that everyone has in Section 12 of the Constitution. Everyone has a right to uh, bodily integrity and that and also the right not to be subjected to medical experiments. I don't think the vaccine is an experiment but uh, that's that is in the constitution. A lot of people are referring to that and that is obviously a very central right to any notion of liberty uh, is your own body. It's, it's where all rights start and then you build out from there to property and so forth. But then you have something called Section 36, one of the Constitution, the limitations provision. And this is the so-called weasel clause that everyone who uh, is interested in, in getting around rights always refers to. They say, oh, yes, you have a right, but Section 36. Uh, and that basically says that the government may limit any right in the Bill of Rights, including the right to bodily integrity, if it is reasonable, reasonable and justifiable in an open and democratic society based on freedom, equality, and human dignity. And then there is a little list of things that the courts can take into account. And uh, a few of them is the nature of the right rights being limited, the uh, purpose for which it is being limited, the importance of that purpose. Uh, whether there are there is a rational connection between uh, the limitation and the goal of the limitation, uh, whether it's proportional the the limitation, whether uh, it's about whether you're using a sledgehammer when you could be using a scalpel, and then the last item uh, is whether there are any less restrictive means that you could use instead of limiting the right. Uh, so that is the what the Constitution says, and this is what the courts will inevitably have to deal with: is asking, is saying, yes, you have a right to bodily integrity, but uh, is your right being legitimately limited? My answer, if there is a national governmental uh, vaccine mandate imposed on South Africa, would be no. Uh, they do not uh, meet the Section 46 test. Uh, I think there are less restrictive means available. Uh, they're actually abounding. <laughs> uh, they could use persuasion. They could <clears throat> use education. They could wait for these new pills coming out of the United States that makes uh, a vaccination unnecessary. Um, They could also start respecting acquired immunity and so forth, so there are uh, quite a few less restrictive means available. And I also think the nature of the right to bodily integrity is so central. Uh, that you cannot just make a standard argument for, yeah, it's in the public interest, you limit this right, so let's do it. I think that's, that's a little bit weak source. So I think it's, it's not legal to have a political vaccine mandate. I think that uh, businesses should be left alone to make these decisions for themselves. But again, I say, I think it would be unwise for them to make that decision, but I think they should be allowed to do that. There shouldn't be any state involvement in this. But the court's are almost always uh, on the uh, uh, opposite side of what I think uh, the legally correct answer is. So we might find a situation where the courts would say, no, it is legal. And yes, the, the, vac- the political max- vaccine mandate does satisfy Section 36. So that might happen. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, this is probably only going to happen in the new year. Um, uh, and I know universities are going to impose va- uh, mandates and there's going to be litigation around that. There's going to be litigation about whether businesses can impose it. There's going to be litigation about whether the government can impose it. It's going to be very interesting. And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that uh, jurists and lawyers like myself are keeping an eye on.
2: Yeah, but I mean, okay, so the science is also tied to the legal argument. But Jonathan, I, I don't understand the science, the reasoning behind the vaccine mandate. I mean, I've recently read Adrian Bosson, in News24, the editor of News24, where he said, if we don't have the vaccine mandate, it can lead to the ruin of South Africa. And We need to force um, people either to choose between the SASA grant and a vaccine. I mean, I mean this is madness. I, I think it can literally lead to something worse than a July riot. So yeah, what, what is your opinion on this?
1: Well, I think a good starting point for me would be to make to state the caveat that, as far as safe citizens are concerned, can't really say anything on any of this. So anything would be of my opinion, which, you, to be fair, you did ask for my opinion on that. Uh, the notion of a vaccine mandate doesn't really make much sense to my mind, just on a comparative basis to. Countries that have very high rates of vaccination to South Africa, which is very low. I believe fully vaccinated is 25, 26%. Although we must bear in mind that fully vaccinated is a moving term these days. So once you start, okay, where is it going to stop? Will it stop? Probably not. And even on reaching that desired outcome, we've got to deal with the vaccine hesitancy which I don't really like that term I think it's a euphemism and it really encompasses two things hesitancy and rejection there are some people that just absolutely don't want it they're not hesitant they don't want it end of story and then there are people that are okay I will be swayed I'm open to being swayed Uh, so those are two different people and I think a broad stroke uh, categorization doesn't work very well Uh, at present We are sitting on very low death rates, even if the cases are spiking. Since the beginning, I've been saying that we should not be focusing on cases. Uh, Deaths are the most meaningful thing. Uh, We heard a fair share of the hospitals are overwhelmed and all of that, although I haven't exactly seen videos and images uh, rushing to the internet to show that, but uh, I may be wrong, just because they're not there doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Uh, and yeah, so comparatively, Europe is on these very high rates of vaccination and they're sitting in the throes of their fourth wave, fifth wave or whatever number it is on now. Uh, we are at the point where we expect a fourth wave historically for the last two years. There should be another one about now. I know last year I said, well, maybe this is over because we're supposed to be in the was it, the third wave at that point, second. Uh, and look, the death rates are very low. And then they ticked up quite a lot over the next two or three weeks. So we're mid almost mid-December now. A lot can happen before the end. But I think the talk of to talk vaccine mandate at this point is premature.
2: Yeah, it would be interesting if they actually pull through and do it. But, but Martin, what is the story behind your namesake, Martin Kingston? I I saw the Cakenet um, debate that you did. Does does he have a conflict of interest in pushing the vaccine mandate?
0: I I have no idea about whether he has a conflict of interest or not. I know uh, Roman Kabanak did an interesting video on that. um, And I would invite your your viewers to you have a look at that. What I can say about Mr. Kingston is that uh, he is certainly in favor of a vaccine mandate. Um, He's, uh, it, it seems to be a relatively new view. So uh, preparing for that CakeNet interview, I did go back a little bit to see where this idea comes from. And uh, his position used to be quite good. Uh, in August, for instance, he talked about um uh, uh, the necessity of getting more people vaccinated, and him and uh, Business for South Africa would be working with community associations, local government to encourage more people to get vaccinated, and I thought that was pretty good. Um, uh, I personally am not a, a an anti-vaxxer. This is also a very problematic term that's that's being thrown around. Uh, I'm I'm. Pretty okay with vaccines, of this vaccine, whether it is a vaccine or not, I'm not entirely sure. But it's medicine. I like medicine, uh, so it's that's great. Um, it seems to work in in uh, for certain uh, aspects of, of the disease. So that's also great. So I think if you're vulnerable, you should get vaccinated. And I think Mr. Kingston and Business for South Africa were on the right track uh, as late as August, saying let's uh, let's go around the country and and encourage people to get vaccinated. Uh, now that 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 tune has changed, um, and and it's it's now all about the vaccine mandate. Essentially saying that, uh, and he said this on the interview that we have to use all of the tools at our disposal to beat COVID. Now, that is, in my view, a, a relatively problematic sentiment.
2: Yeah, like the I, tanks. I- <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah. So so I I think I I've, I've had covid in August as well. Uh I I I went into it thinking I'm a young guy, I'm going to I'm going to breeze through this. Uh it was the sickest I've ever been. Uh it, it it was terrible. Uh covid is not a nice disease and I think there is definitely a public interest in us uh, fighting against it, but it is, it is not, and I say this as someone with no medical training whatsoever, it simply is not an existential threat. It, it is not the end of humanity. The placard saying the end is nigh do not apply it to this pandemic. This is not the end. This is not an existential threat to human civilization. So I I do not believe we should use all the means that are uh, that that are potentially at our disposal to beat uh, to beat this particular um, uh, disease. I I think that uh, we need to use a scalpel. We need to identify people who are at risk, uh, people with comorbidities, older people. Uh, we need to make them understand that they have a vaccine at their disposal that is in South Africa free, uh, and they could get that. Uh, we, we, we need to make them understand that. Uh, I know a lot of people in South Africa are not, not aware of it, uh, uh, so get the word out there. But forcing everyone, regardless of their own medical profiles, uh, their own, uh, I, I think the word is contraindication, uh, their own vulnerabilities. To vaccines. Just saying no. Everyone must be vaccinated. That is very reckless. That is that is not a a, uh, a, a rational or a reasonable or responsible approach to a to a medical issue. From my understanding, uh, every individual person, all sixty million of us, should speak to our doctors about that. They should make a medical profile of us and make sure we are not uh, vulnerable to to more severe side effects or even death from getting this thing. Uh, Rather than having some guy at the top and in an office saying, listen, no, vaccines are safe, get it. I think they're safe in general, but uh, I cannot cannot tell someone else that it will be safe for them. Uh, That is something they can only determine with their doctor. Um, So I think that the sentiment that Mr. Kingston has and that uh, the organization that he represents has is problematic in in various respects, uh, uh, we I, I don't think we can afford, and I i, I say in, in the South African context, but also in the global context, I don't think we can afford to cede this principle. Now, true, there are other vaccine mandates that have existed throughout history. Uh, all of them have been more limit, far, far, far more limited than what is contemplated with the COVID-19 vaccination. Uh, essentially, this vaccination is supposed to be for all eight, nine billion, people around the world whereas every other vaccination a man- mandatory vaccination before and has been for specific categories of people in very specific circumstances uh, and even then i think that there might be some ethical uh, issues with those historical mandatory vaccinations uh, i think fundamentally people should be should see what the benefits of vaccination are. And then if they are rational, as I believe all people fundamentally are, they will get vaccinated. Uh, They shouldn't be forced into doing it. But when we set this precedent, this principle that the the government, if there is a good reason like this or another good reason to uh, upend very, very basic rights like this, that the government can just do that and do it for everyone being cheered on by corporate media and by... And by the, the large businesses, I think we are setting ourselves up for uh, a very pernicious uh, type of, of tyranny that we're seeing in China nowadays, the social credit system. I, I'm seeing a lot of that bubbling under the surface of this and that it's not going to be the state first taking us to camp, so that's what uh, some, some country, Australia, is doing. Uh, but it's going to be a, a very, it's, it's going to be a closed society. It's not going to be an open society. It's going to be one where you're constantly monitored. You're going to be checked whether you've got your 10th booster shot so that you can buy a garage pie or something. Uh, that's, to me, that's just unacceptable. Uh, as as pro-vaccine technology as I am, to me, that, that thought is just, repulsive we don't want to go there as a society uh we're gonna have a lot of trouble walking back that principle once we set it uh, because uh, currently we're having trouble walking back previous principles because when we complain about this people say no but we did it with polio we did it with yellow fever so let's do it again Th- that these people are proving the slippery slope is not a fallacy so uh i would rather we hit the brakes stand break here and not not uh, continue down the slope that we've already started on. Um, uh, I, I'm not interested in living in that society. Sorry to
1: jump in there, but I'm also old enough to remember when it was just three weeks to flatten the curve. <laughs>
2: yes. <laughs> wow, wow, you must be very old. Um, so, but, but I mean, the, I think also like the elephant in the room is that, I mean, perhaps this is a treasonous thought, but that the vaccine is not technically really a vaccine in the sense that it makes you immune from the disease. It only reduces hospitaliz- hospitalization rates. So I think a lot of people think, okay, vaccine—the word—we need to get—we need everyone to get it because it solves the problem. But that's not really the case. Is, isn't that also the problem? Don't you think, Jonathan?
1: It's, the terminology. What to, yeah, what to call it? I don't know. To me, a vaccine always meant okay. Once off your polio shot, done. You're immune for life. Measle, done. You're immune for life. Uh, those sorts of things. This one is like okay. No, there's there's the first one, and then you need the second one. Okay. And now then, there's the booster shot, which is brings in the whole. It's a moving target. And I'm by no means a medical doctor, but a lot from what a lot from what a lot. Sorry, I sometimes fall over my words. Like that. From a lot of what I have read. Uh, coronaviruses they've been with us for thousands of years they are the common cold is one of them uh i'm not sure how the whole categorization or family tree works for them but like similar to the flu they mutate regularly every year you get a cold or you get you get influenza you can't really vaccinate against them they just they change, they're they're notorious for doing just that. So it's like chasing a moving target uh, as if the goalposts weren't moving enough. Well, now now the target itself also moves. So how how, how long are you gonna keep this up? It's a bit of a, sounds like an exercise in futility. Uh, Just on the topic of like the ethics of a mandate, Martin mentioned right at the beginning uh, about the, the ethical implications of it. I just saw today that I think it's Sajid Javid, the UK Health Secretary, who said that, I read it in The Spectator, so the article is still there, I'm assuming, it was published earlier today. He said that a, a vaccine mandate would not be an ethical thing to do. Now, whether he stays on that position, because we all know politicians are so good at holding a position and not changing ever.
2: Like I'm a yeah.
1: But that's just what he said. And I mean, the UK is not someone to really, I think, sniff at on these things. They've, they went the full tilt as well. They did the whole lockdown thing. They've gone through the process. They vaccinated a significant proportion of their society. Uh, and even while continental Europe is in meltdown all over again for I've lost track of how many times, the UK is functioning pretty much like it was before the whole Hysteric hysteria began and well that's something that media also needs to turn down on the hysteria of it uh, it's very difficult to tell what the messaging is it's very conflicting it's all over the place but i don't think one could really expect too much more from uh, what has become just the clickbait revenue models that most media houses tend to go for most websites based Uh, entities seem to go for these days so clicks makes revenue
0: Hmm.
2: yeah it's interesting i mean I, i literally saw today a news article that said that the omicron virus i believe is the new variant is spreading faster than all the other variants and then you read an article that says okay but the death rate of these this new variant is way lower so the one Uh, portrays it as oh that's super fast it's almost going to kill us it it doesn't mention the death rate but the other more conservative outlet says okay but it spreads fast but the death rate is low it's like two conflicting worlds but martin don't you think it's also like a a sort of a class system i I know there's recently a video where a person went to austria where they have the vaccine mandate where they force people not to go to restaurants or whatever if you don't have the vaccine and he says a lot of people see it as those who don't get the vaccine is like lower status. They're stupid, mm. there's, there's, there's a sort of a smugness with people who get the vaccine. I'm the smarter person, I'm for science. Mm. Isn't, that, mm. isn't that also a factor here?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely, and it's, it's extremely dangerous. So it's, it's, more, it's not that they're, they're stupid or that they are lesser, but it's, it's that they're dirty. It's that there there's something unclean about not being vaccinated, and and that's that's really the the type of uh, distinction that's now being uh, created. It's that this this person is radioactive if they're not not vaccinated, but everyone is radioactive because as I f- I think, which is now clear, I think everyone admits to this, even those who are in favor of the mandate, is that even vac- fully vaccinated people contract the virus and can spread. The virus. You, you, they might be less contagious, uh, uh, but nonetheless, you can still get it. And there is no guarantee that if you're in a room full of fully vaccinated individuals, that uh, you cannot pick up COVID there. Uh, it, it seems to me to have happened now, especially with Omicron uh, as it started to spread around the world. Uh, but that's just what I've heard has been admitted uh, time and time again, is that this vaccine Only make sure that if you get COVID, your body would be prepared for it and that you will uh, have a a more mild experience of it and that you will probably survive it. Uh, The the chances of surviving it without the vaccine are also very, very high uh, for most people, but the vaccine makes your chances even higher and that's great. I I think that's excellent. Um, But this new, this, this absolutely atrocious propaganda campaign uh, that's pitting not only the state against the unvaccinated, but pitting the vaccinated against the unvaccinated is is incredibly dangerous for our society because it, again it goes back to setting principles that we're going to struggle to roll back because now we have this situation where we're making we're making ordinary people super aware of public health issues. Now this has never been the case, and I think rightfully so. I don't think people should live as if the ground I don't think everyone should be uh, uh, uber clean and then trying to avoid just getting sick from something. But uh, we're now going into that situation where that might be the case, where a lot of people are now going to be health conscious to a fault. Uh, And and that means that whatever the next condition is, whatever the next virus is, whatever the next uh, disease is, no matter how mild it is, no matter how uh, survivable it is, if you're not vaccinated against it, or you're not wearing a mask, uh, or anything like that, then you're unclean and you must stay away and you must be kept out of public spaces. Uh, now, I mean, that, that is not a society that, that we want to live in, uh, and especially not when we have these otherwise reasonable people calling for you to, and your family to be taken to these camps or whatever that they're setting up in Australia, if you have people cheering on as the German police raids restaurants going from table to table, checking whether people have their their vax passes and uh, luckily Germany also has immunity passes, uh, uh, w- whether they have that with them. Uh, that, that's, a, that's an unhealthy society even though it's, it's extremely health conscious. It is unhealthy in a way that, that, that will never lead to a free society in the future. Uh, and, and the most insidious part of it is that it is conscripting ordinary people to do the bidding of the political class. Uh, uh, we, we need to be very careful about that. Uh, and, and yeah, the, 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 the big thing with it is that the resistance to it is is mild. Uh, when you had these systems of racial discrimination, they had in the beginning they had this air of intellectualism about it where um, only the high the high class believed in, in racial discrimination you saw it in in britain you saw it in the united states you saw it in south africa where all the scientists believed that yeah the, uh, segregate, segregation is good it keeps society clean it keeps our morals uh, in check uh, uh, but there was resistance to it uh, now with 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 these vaccine mandates the resistance to it is, is quite poor. Uh, now I'm speaking specifically about South Africa. It's uh, it's it's very um, it's very unintellectual, and and the first part of that is that there is a lot of people with some insane ideas who are on our side of this, uh, and that, that's, that's uh, that makes things difficult when, when you're trying to say, listen, a vaccine mandate is uh, uh, the uh, destructive of liberty. It's destructive of, of sound healthy social order. And the guy next to you says, yes, I agree with everything he says. And those 5G towers are poisoning us all. And Bill Gates is trying to kill us. Or it makes uh, us you- magnetic. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Kooky ideas like this. And I know some people watching this are going to immediately think I'm bought and paid for by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. But that's okay. Uh, My bank details are available for them (laughs) if 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 they should want to pay me for for my remarks here. Uh, We have a PR issue here. There is a deficit uh, between the pro mandators and the the anti-mandators, not the anti-vaxxers. Uh, and and that's something that, that's gonna make things difficult for us. But thankfully now, now that uh, President Ramaphosa has, has booted this issue and said they, they were looking at it, more and more uh, credible organizations are coming out against the vaccine mandate. Uh, and and I'm I'm hoping that that continues and that uh, we can we can beat the government and the political class on this. At an intellectual, at a well-reasoned, at a, at a sane, non-hysterical level. Uh, uh, because then, then we can actually stop that principle from becoming entrenched without the other side just acting like we're just all a whole bunch of kooks uh, uh, who, who hate science and who hate medicine. Uh, so we have a risk there, but uh, let's, let's work at it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've heard in the new camps they're setting up, we're planning on setting up in like Austria and Germany, they can have showers that you have to go in. That's clean you, and you shave. No, I'm joking. No. no let's hope that doesn't happen because I mean the irony would too be too much. But um yeah, I mean, what's next? I mean, are they going to mandate that we exercise, that we stop eating sugar? Because I mean, there's probably a lot of things that are far worse than
1: the COVID. So, well, we just what- got a sugar facts. It ruined a lot of foods. I'll say that. So. We're on that slope already, I think.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's yeah, it's dangerous ideas that are floating into the government. That's thinking it's it's our daddy. But yeah, on this note or to pivot, Jonathan, what what is the Safe Citizen campaign? And yeah, I, quite frankly, I don't know a lot about gun rights in South Africa. But yeah, what is the si- Safe Citizen campaign, and what are you hoping to achieve?
1: So the Safe Citizen campaign is a relatively new, probably one of the probably the newest organization of firearm rights uh, activists or activist groups on the scene. Uh, we officially started, if I recall correctly, October last year, beginning of this year, we actually started making a, a push to get our name out there, uh, publishing an article to here, getting a, appearing on a radio show there, that sort of thing. Um, basically, safe citizen campaign, isn't necessarily purely a firearm rights-focused entity. The like the name suggests, it's well, it's for safe citizens, right? whether they be fire firearms, uh, anything related to self-defense. Because it really, it is a it's a multifaceted approach if I can call it that. There's more way. There's more than one way to skin a cat, and a firearm is not the only way to keep yourself safe. And it's all good and well that. That the government doesn't take away your guns, for example, but then they ban pepper spray. This is something that a lot of the Europeans are quite familiar with, for example. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's probably, in a nutshell, the best way to put it.
2: Okay, but our um, our our right to own a firearm is it is it under threats? I don't know. Can you perhaps explain that to our viewers?
1: The right to own a firearm in South Africa has been under threat since the day this country became a union and probably before that. So it's not a new thing. Although in the last few years, or since 1994, you can say with strong conviction that, well, now everybody's at equal risk. So there's certainly equality in that regard. Uh, It's no longer a purely race motivated thing. Like the apartheid government didn't like the idea of black people having guns, uh, and the colonial authorities back then especially didn't. In fact, we got two little civil wars out of that, one of which was the pursuit War war the gun, which Gideon Yobar loves to talk about. He's from GOSA, uh, I believe. And so yeah, the ANC is no friend of ours in this regard, or at least they have strongly indicated that they're not. Uh, I mean, after all, they appoint the Commissioner of Police, they appoint the Civilian Secretariat and people like that, Uh which is where the most recent uh, amendment bill proposal came from. Uh, And well, fortunately, there was such big blowback uh, Mm -hmm. in general, and dear South Africa helped quantify a lot of that, because they really are a great entity for civic engagement and just collecting the public's views on matters, whether it's this thing with Shell, whether it's vaccine mandates as they're doing now, and we just spoke about, and the Farms Control Act Amendment Bill, which they did a few months ago as the submissions came to a close. So we are very much trying to make sure that doesn't happen. And Safe is not alone in this. There are other organizations as well, uh, some of which are not even necessarily even firearm rights focused. They can't just be civil civil liberties focused. I believe AFRI Forum was also quite vocal on like, no, this is not okay. I'm not sure about Sarkalika. I seem to remember that they were, or they may have said a few things, but my point is that uh, this is quite a, this is a very, very broad issue. It's got a lot, there's a lot of sectors of society that have an interest in preserving firearm ownership rights. And we should probably add at this point that it's only a statutory, not even a statutory right, it's a statutory privilege because it's so conditional and there are so many hoops to jump through, a lot of which are quite irrational and just completely pointless.
2: Martin, what is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's position on this? No, 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 I'm joking. Um, uh, did Chile try to take all our guns? I, I really have to admit, I don't, I'm not very clued up in, on this issue. Uh, did hmm. Chile was that his sentence? Uh, well,
1: sorry, go ahead, Martin.
0: Uh, yeah, so I, I guess uh, uh, Jonathan will probably know more of the details, but as far as I understand it is that uh, the... The Firearms Control Amendment Bill, the, the biggest thing that people were concerned about, although it's not the, the, the only thing in the bill that was problematic, was that it was going to uh, say that self-defense is no longer a valid reason to acquire, to acquire a firearm license for. Uh, that was the, the gist of it. Uh, currently in South Africa, you can acquire a license legally for a firearm for self-defense. Believe uh, hunting. I'm not sure if there's a recreational license, a uh, security uh, license, and so forth. There's a few categories. Obviously, self-defense is the the go-to one, uh, given that South Africa is like the fourth highest, uh, fourth most homicidal state in the world, uh, the third most uh, uh, rape-centric place in the world. So uh, uh, there's a strong interest in getting a firearm for nothing else than to defend yourself. Now. Uh, teller thought, no, that, um, and this is probably the ANC sentiment is that, no, but it's uh, the, the, the social contract says that the state must have a monopoly on violence and that it's the state's responsibility to protect people. And therefore, we can't have people running around like the Wild West uh, protecting themselves. Uh, of course, they, they ignore entirely the fact that we may as well not have a police service in this country. I think it would do us all... Uh, a better service if they just abolish the saps um, i've never felt safe seeing a saps vehicle i've always felt a bit more threatened um yeah and it again, seems I like never... the criminals only yeah.
2: steal guns from them so yes the basic state is yeah. only providing the criminals guns through them
0: yes yeah if, if the police themselves aren't shooting at you because they're helping the the criminals then uh it's the criminal shooting at you of guns they got from the police so uh, we have no police force in this country. Uh, we have a very, very well developed private security industry. Which I never, I never uh, cower in fear when I see a private security guard. I always think, "Wow, uh, I feel safer now." Uh, we have we have that going for us, uh, and this doesn't sit well with with our government, and they wanted to take away this uh, this. Uh, privilege to a a firearm for self-defense but that's not the only thing they did uh they're also regulating private security companies now uh saying i think in the the newest act i think it's a private uh, private security industry regulation act or something uh it requires you uh private security firms to have majority south african ownership because we don't want a foreign private security invasion or something in South Africa. I have no idea what their reasons were was for this, this silly invasion. But the point is they're curbing uh, the, the health of the private security industry as well. So if you're asking whether the ultimate intention of government and Begitsele in particular is eventually to have a disarmed South Africa entirely, I would say yes. I, I think he's actually said that and I, I don't think he's the smartest Uh, two in the box. So I think he may have just misspoken, but I think he has said that we want to disarm the civilian population. (laughs) I think he has said that. Uh, So I think that is their ultimate aim. I don't think they're going to succeed in South Africa. Uh, as, As someone who works in public policy, a lot of the positions that I have to take are often uh, framed in a racial way. So I am against expropriation and so forth. And when I speak against it, then predictably, the interviewer on the radio show or television brings in a racial aspect. A lot of the callers bring in racial aspects. But on firearm rights, none of that. Uh, When I speak in favor of firearm rights, uh, maybe the journalist interviewing me may have an issue, but the callers, Black, colored, Indian, are all in favor of firearm rights. I've never interacted with a caller uh, who is against firearm rights. So this is something that really cuts across uh, the racial divisions that we have. Uh, I think most South Africans uh, are pro-firearm rights, even though they don't have firearms. Uh, and that's a brilliantly good thing because that means the chances of them succeeding in disarming the civilian population are slim. And uh, I would encourage everyone uh, who feels comfortable around a firearm you probably start the process of acquiring one. Uh, you are, the police is not going to come and save you. Uh, get yourself prepared to, to protect yourself, your family, and your property. Uh, and uh, help us rid the earth of uh, filthy criminals uh, who have no intention other than killing you, uh, given the bloodlust among South, African, South Africa's uh, criminals. So yeah, the government is definitely not the friend of liberty when it comes to <laughs> the self-defense and the firearms.
1: Yeah. Right, if, I, if I may say on, on the amendment bill, uh, the government w- didn't just go off to self-defense, although that was a very big part of it. Because as Martin said, yes, you, you get the section 13 license, which is the self-defense, one firearm, which is just silly. Why on earth should it be one? What if it breaks? Now you have to license a new one. Three four months. Okay, you've already proved a need for a self-defense firearm, now I have to do it again. So, this is one of the, the, the complete ludicrous aspects of it. Then there's section 14, which I really need to talk about because it's very rare. Section 15, occasional sport, very common. You can license up to four firearms, two of which may be a handgun. And it includes section 13 in that count. So, we have section 13, then section 15 slots, reducing four to three. Then there's 16, dedicated status. You can own an unlimited amount of firearms, or at least as many as you can prove a need to own. Uh, and then it goes up to Section Twenty, which is the security, uh, private security company licenses. Well, not private security; it's just business purposes. Include security companies, film and theatrical armories, and then the Section Twenty-One, which are temporary licenses. So. So if an American sports shooter wants to come and compete in South Africa, for example, and bring his own competition pistols with him, then he would ask for a Section 21 permit, and then there'd be an export-import permit, and it's a very long bureaucratic process. The point is, he would have a license while he's here. At least that's how I understand how Section 21 also works. So the government went after Section 13, they just deleted it outright, gone, finished, Clap. Not, not going to happen. Doesn't matter if you live in the most violent part of Nyanga or wherever, and the, if you're in the middle of the Karoo and the nearest police station is like 60 kilometers away, doesn't matter, no license for self-defense purposes. Then they also went after the rest of the provisions somewhat directly, but also through stealth. So reloading or making your own ammunition at home, for example, was severely curtailed and that by that on its own, we just decimate sporting and hunting in its entirety. Ammunition is very expensive. And so a lot of uh, professional shooters or even very dedicated um, hobbyists turn to manufacturing their own ammunition. So they buy a press, they buy the cases, the lead bullets, powder, primers, etc., and they put it together themselves. Uh, so if you've got, you can go through hundreds of rounds easily in a dedicated practice session. And if you're not practicing, well, then you're not getting really better at your sport. So if you get rid of that, well, then you've just completely gutted an entire section by itself. They also wanted to introduce limits to the section 16. because presently, like I said, it's unlimited, as many as you can prove a need for. And so that, fell away. I don't know the exact numbers they reduced it to. I mean, I could go look at them, but that would take a minute or two. So yeah, there was a lot of my stuff. And even earlier, Either earlier this year or maybe even last year or the year before, there was a mooted amendment bill for the uh, I think PASERA, Private Security Industry Regulator Act, or whatever body the uh, statute they were created by, that sought to regulate how security companies could use their firearms. In other words, they, they could only acquire revolvers uh, and those sorts of things. So. But that was ultra-virus from the start because the act was meant to regulate private security. It was not meant to regulate firearm usage or anything like that. And yeah, sure, like the criminals have AK-47s and maybe an RPG, but yes, let's give them something from World War One. Why don't we just give them a, a board shot while we're at it, a front lock musket or something. And Oh, that's that's what I could say on The amendment bill—it was sweeping. It was very wide. It was a complete rewrite of the Farms Control Act. They even changed the, the, I think, the preamble and the purposes of the act to a very draconian-sounding uh, sentences, choices of words. Again, I can't recite them off the top of my head, but they weren't in the current fluffy, flowery language that they're in. They were a lot. They were very unambiguous in what they were trying to do.
2: Interesting. Um, But yeah, it seems like the argument holds true that if you bring out laws that prohibit the ownership of guns, the only thing that happens is that the law abiding citizens get their guns removed from them and the criminals keep their guns. Obviously, criminals don't follow the laws. So that's the only thing that really happens. Isn't that the case, Martin?
0: absolutely i mean we we see this in south africa i mean it's it's ridiculous that they could even uh contemplate this working uh, and then there's uh, useful idiot organizations like gun-free south africa who peddle some of these uh, uh ridiculous myths uh, uh but but the fact of the matter is as jonathan says these criminals have uh, uh, automatic firearms they are very well equipped uh, I've i've seen pictures of of them having uh, military gear, like cell phone jammers and stuff, with them. I mean, where the hell do you, where in the hell do you buy these things? I, I, I would, I wouldn't even know where to start. Uh, so, ordinary law-abiding citizens in South Africa are at a significant disadvantage—a significant disadvantage—going up against South African criminals. And as I uh, uh, briefly mentioned earlier, there's a, there's an odd bloodlust among South Africa's criminals. Now, I've been to Nigeria, and I've been to Kenya. Uh, I I still have intentions of traveling in other parts of Africa. I know people who've traveled through Africa, an extremely peaceful place. There's isolated war zones, but extremely peaceful place, far poorer than South Africa, far poorer than, than South Africans are in the rest of Africa. But while there is petty theft there, they don't stab people brutally to death and gut them and have their entrails spilling out and then uh, rape babies or rape 80 year old women. That just doesn't happen. It, it's, it's something that you come to South Africa to see if you're a criminal tourist. Uh, uh, that is, that, that happens here. So there's a, a very disturbing bloodlust in South Africa. It has nothing to do with poverty. I don't know what the reason is. There's still a lot of academic work, legwork that needs to be done there to find out what's going on. But that's all the more reason for me to, to, uh, to conclude that the only thing that government really legitimately can do in this regard is to say, hey guys, we, ha- we are way out of our depth here we we are trying to protect you but we are not even coming close our justice system is falling apart we don't have enough prosecutors to prosecute even half of the murders and rapes that occur in this country please arm yourselves please protect yourselves and your families that is what this government should be saying and it would work the the anc supporters would go mad with joy and love for their party saying that, uh, the ANC might even win a few more, uh, uh, undecided, uh, if they came out and said, listen, protect yourself and protect yourself very, very responsibly and very, uh, uh, uh radically and decisively, but that's not what they're doing. Uh, uh, they, it's, uh, assisted by gun-free South Africa. They, they're operating under this thing of, you know, the, this only police and the army should have, have, have these weapons and, uh, uh, the, the chances of you being killed with your own firearm is so much higher, so therefore you should just be defenseless uh, if someone comes into your house, because if you don't have a firearm, they they won't be able to kill you. It's not like there's knives and rocks and stuff to, to kill you with. Uh, so that's that's the government's approach. Uh, and and it's so blatantly obvious that that's a power grab, simply because they have no democratic mandate for this. Their supporters don't want this. So it's all about uh Uh, securing the state and trenching the power of the state, which is diminishing, our state is collapsing. So there's a rapidly diminishing state capacity in this country, which ups the ante for them to uh, make sure that civil society's power at least reduces with them. Uh, So that's 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 a big part of it. Uh, and, And then you can also get into, I guess, I guess, call it conspiracy theories about the government wants to engage in expropriation without compensation. And they know that a lot of people are going to, are not going to be too keen on that uh, when 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 the moving trucks are driving up the road to come and move you out of your own property. Uh, a lot of people are potentially going to shoot back, and the government is definitely intent on pursuing more and more of these backwards anti-liberty policies going forward. Uh, at least for as long as they remain in power, which is hopefully not long and uh, long anymore. Uh, so that, that may, might be underlying a lot of what's happening here, uh, and all of that puts law-abiding citizens at more of a, a disadvantage. And, and my message, I guess, to, to ordinary South Africans is really stop, uh, 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 drop the the, the, the mysticalness that, with which you treat the law. Uh, I am pursuing a doctorate in law as we speak. I have nothing but respect for the law as an institution, but uh, at least be aware that there is a very big difference between the law and what is right, what is moral. Uh, The opinions of a bunch of politicians being written into a piece of legislation should not in my view just qualify as a law that is meant to be obeyed in conscience. Uh, You should obey it as a matter of law and as a matter of not going to prison, but whether you should obey it as a matter of conscience, I don't think so. Uh, I think drop a lot of the uh, the, re- the reverence with which we treat uh, uh, the law that is written by people like Becky Taylor, uh, and uh, once we make that mental shift, at least uh, we open the door to some creative things happening in South Africa, to state-proof communities, state-proof businesses, state-state-proof individuals, and hopefully uh, a different democratic outcome in our future next few elections.
2: Mm, absolutely. And it's interesting that you mentioned the bloodlust because, I mean, I've also been to African countries like Namibia and Rwanda, and it's, they, they almost speak like with a, they, they can't understand South Africans. They, see, they say, I, I've actually been in Namibia, and the, the people say that oh, those people over there are savages in South Africa, the, the place where you are from. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think it perhaps has to do with like drugs or alcohol, which is perhaps more of a feature in South Africa. But yeah, I, I, sorry if I perhaps didn't get the entire um, mission of the bill, but w- was the bill defeated? Is it still in process? What's the proce- is it still in process, Jonathan, the bill?
1: So before I just answer that one, I think on the topic of why there's such a bloodlust in South Africa, I think drugs and alcohol can play a part in it, but even those I don't think are root causes. I think the real big root cause is just the untold, unquantifiable, amount of social damage that apartheid era policies had on South Africa, destroying entire family structures, splitting them apart, ripping them apart, often violently. And that's very traumatic, and it doesn't go away in a generation. It's actually, it's effortless to do that, to, to cause that damage. It's a lot more difficult to put the pieces back together. It's like unscrambling an egg. You can, in this case, you can do it, but it requires a lot of work, a lot of very specific work, a lot of research and understanding it. And I can't exactly say with any confidence that this government has done anything of the sort in the last 20 years they've been here. Maybe you can say, okay, maybe they did with, because murder rates dropped quite a lot from between 95 and 2004, and substantially at least. And then they continue to trend downwards a little bit for like five more years. But then it continued rising, so I don't really think there was really any discernible improvement in our situation, with the exception of maybe 10 years between ninety-five and 2005. And you can say, okay, there was something there, but I don't think it was substantial because we're now in the 10th, 11th, 12th consecutive year of homicide increase. Uh, we're nearly at think, 38, per, 38 murders per 100,000 now. I forget the exact number. Point is it's going up, and as Martin said, fourth most homicidal na- nation in the world. Well, I think he doesn't quite give him the credit. I think we're actually fifth. <laughs> what a wonderful, what a wonderful improvement! <laughs> uh, but even on the whole uh, sense of the draconian nature of firearms control in South Africa, I asked, I, do, I made a a promotion of access to information act request. to to the police ministry in 2017. And I asked them, okay, how many unregistered firearms have you recovered uh, um, to date? In a a certain time, span? I don't have the exact details. But the point was that the amount of firearms that they recovered and doing the basic math worked out to, assuming there are 2.5 million unregistered firearms in South Africa, it would take, okay, they, yeah, in 10 years, they recovered 50,000. So that requires to 3,000 farms a year. And in that case, it will take 833 years to recover all, all 2.5 million estimated unregistered ones, or 1,166 to recover all 3.5 million such, or 3,666 years to recover all 11 million, because no one actually knows how many unregistered ones there are. There's just this, it's probably this, it could be that, and very, they've, there's a very wide variation. Point is, the rate at which the police are collecting them or covering them makes it a completely nonsensical and ludicrous goal because it's not a static number. We have very porous borders. You can manufacture firearms at home with, with rudimentary uh, welding and metallurgy skills, although granted, I won't be the one to volunteer and, and test out your firearm, but point is, you can make homemade firearms. Not very safely, but make a way if you need it. To, back to your question of where's the bill now? Well, it's, kind. Of, I think, a, a bit of a, a state of purgatory. We haven't heard much about it since the comments closed. My guess is that with the massive rejection of pub, like the public uh, participation process, at least at least through uh, Dio South Africa, where they can actually quant- made a report and could quantify all of the submissions that they received, which went on to the police ministry as formal submissions in the public participation process. It was an overwhelming rejection. At I think one hundred and forty thousand submissions, I'd be a little bit off, but it 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 wasn't even like ten to twenty percent approved of it. It was like no, no, no. It was more like it was over ninety percent. It was massive. There is no, like any right-thinking politician who actually cared about the law, the institution of the law, public policy, safety and security stuff like that, or what South Africans just generally think would not go ahead with this. They would kill it right there. Not only would they kill it, they would actually start a new bill to liberalise significant aspects of the Farms Control Act. Uh, Some of you may remember... Some of the images that came out of the Central Firearms Registry about earlier this year, I think it was around May, June. F- floor to ceiling reams of paper, and you know how heavy paper is. There are literally tons of paper in the Central Firearms Registry building. Wonderful fire hazard. And those were all just um, the amnesty uh, applications, which is a whole topic by itself. Suffice it to say, it was completely pointless stupid like there was no reason to do it and it all but collapsed the same files registry uh, and yeah that's all i can really say about where the bill is now
0: Hopefully i i think the The bill has been withdrawn, so end of last month, the 25th of November, the portfolio committee said that they have uh, decided to no longer prioritize the bill and that it is now back on the shelf basically. So I think that's a little bit of good news, but they can reintroduce it at any time as far as I understand.
1: Yeah, and just on that, like you say, they've withdrawn it for now and they can reintroduce it. The thing is they have kind of done this. The bill isn't necessarily a new thing there are, there are large sections of the bill that have been floating around since 2006 when the last amendment act was passed to the finance control act. That act bill by itself included a lot of things, a lot of it was cut out, some parts were changed, some parts were accepted. Not many, I don't think. Then they tried again in 2015, and everyone, it was just after the, the firearms summit where they had a very big, very promising public participation process, firearms organizations were there, countries like that, everybody was there. Everybody thought, okay, cool, this, this is good. This this can mark a very significant change. I mean, it seemed that a, a, a conclusion that the portfolio committee seemed to draw from it was, we need to consider the licensed person register the firearm, as opposed to the current licensed person and licensed firearm. And well then, color everyone shocked when in 2018 all of the things that were in the 2006 bill came back and more so that one died a very unceremonious and quick death because again the bill was leaked prematurely so there was a lot of egg on everyone's faces in the police ministry when when they sat there and like oh it's not ours yes okay it kind of is and then they just uh, you know it's off the table whatever then it came back this uh, last year i think it was last year no, this year, because they published it this year. And again, everything from 2018 is bull. Everything from 2006 is bull, but they They've got a very strong habit of doing this. It's like, what do you think is going to change? People aren't getting more supportive of your notions. You keep publishing it. It keeps getting rejected. Try something new. Maybe something else will happen.
2: Yeah, gentlemen, I see our time is running out. I think the conclusions that we can reach is that um, don't get the vaccine because it will make you magnetic. And if you have a gun, you can shoot yourself. But yeah, last words. um, uh, Where can we find you, Martin? Go ahead.
0: Yeah, thanks. Uh, Great interview. Uh, My first main port of call is uh, uh, my website. That's martinfanstaden.com uh you'll find all of my articles there all of my media appearances a short bio and all of my uh, social media stuff but i'll go through them quickly uh i'm active on twitter that's at martin underscore asfl and on facebook that is facebook.com forward slash martin van Staden liberty one word um and yeah that's uh, basically where you will find me please also uh, visit the organizations that i'm involved with chiefly the uh uh, Free Market Foundation, that's freemarketfoundation.com, and Salkalicha, uh, which is an independent business community, that is salkalicha.co.za. And thanks, uh, Donald. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, excellent discussion. Let's uh, do it again.
2: Jonathan?
1: Yeah, so you can find the Safe Citizen Campaigns website on safecitizen.co.za. Uh, everything you could possibly want to know about Safe Citizen is there. Uh, and if you want to just know more about myself and my thoughts on various matters. I do have quite a few articles published on the rational standard on various topics. Uh, I'm not even gonna try to list them all, but there's a lot there. Many of them are firearm-related for obvious reasons. And if you're at all interested in my Twitter handle, it's Jonathan HFW, oh, yeah. So, yeah.
2: Great. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Um, Yeah, we should definitely do this again. And to our viewers, you know the mantra, donate, share, uh, uh, no, share. (laughs)
0: Like, subscribe. Yeah, thank
2: you, thank you, thank you. You don't uh, know the mantra. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I should actually perhaps um, practice the mantra. But yeah, thank you, gentlemen. And yeah, my name is Donald and you've been watching Worldview.